A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey guys, we're working our way through the Evangelism Explosion method of sharing the gospel, and this is our third video in a four-part series. So if you missed the first two, you may want to go back and check them out first. In fact, you probably really need to do that. Let me give you a little test, okay? (laughs) Can you quote the two diagnostic questions? Why not pause the video right now and check yourself? I would encourage you to Say it out loud. You'll learn things a lot better and you'll see where your weaknesses are if you try to say it out loud, okay? Hit pause. All right, the first one is, have you come to the place in your personal spiritual life where you know for certain that you have eternal life? In other words, where you know for certain that you will go to heaven when you die. And the second one is, let's suppose you were to die and you suddenly found yourself standing before God and God were to ask you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you say to God? And do you remember the first two outline headings we've already looked at in the second video and their subpoints? Can you do that? Pause again. See if you can say those out loud to yourself. Okay? Hit pause. The first heading is grace. Heaven is a free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved. The second heading is man. He's a sinner and he cannot save himself. Can you remember any of the illustrations? I don't necessarily want you to take time right now to try to say the whole illustration, but can you remember what they were about? You know, if you can get some of those locked in your brain, illustrations are so easy to learn, you can probably learn how to share it without really memorizing it. You know, just get the main points. You can go back and watch those again if you need to. Why don't you hit pause and see how many you can remember? So far, we've seen the illustration about the beautiful cabinet, about the friend who gives you a very expensive gift, about people who say their conscience is clear, sin 99% forgotten. There was the illustration about three sins a day. There was the illustration about the omelet. There was the illustration about one drop of sewage in a glass of water. There was the illustration about the broad jump and about the lemon tree and about a Chinese nature. All right. So I don't know how many of those you can remember, but it might be good to try to at least memorize what those are so that you can have them available in your brain when you get an opportunity to share them. All right, let's move on to the third heading in the outline. The third heading is God. After you've talked about grace and about man, you can transition into this third heading, maybe by saying something like this. Here's your transition sentence. You know, this all begins to make a lot more sense when we understand what God tells us is true about himself. So there's a transition sentence. There are a lot of things that God wants us to know about himself, guys. You realize that, right? (laughs) We're going to learn about him our entire life. Don't think you know all you need to know about God. That's never going to happen. It's a lifetime project. In fact, I think it's not just a lifetime project. I think it's an eternity project. You realize God is infinite, right? He's infinite in his power. He's infinite in his wisdom. He's infinite in his knowledge. He's infinite in his love. And our brains can't wrap around infinity. But but through eternity, we're going to be learning more and more and more about him. I'm, I'm suspecting a million years from now, we'll still be learning more about God even in our glorified bodies. But for now, there are two things about God that we need to make sure are very clear when we're sharing the gospel. We want to make sure people understand this. The first one is God is merciful and loving, and he doesn't want to punish us. He's he's a loving God. And the second one is God is perfectly just, and he must punish sin. Now, let's think about that. There are many, many verses in the Bible that teach us about the love of God. 
but here are a couple of them. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. Great verse back in the Old Testament. Here's another one. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. Beautiful verse. Many, many others. You can probably think of some of them. God so loved the world. Yeah. So almost everybody we talk with will agree very quickly that God is a God of love. Even if their God is an imaginary God, you know, some people talk about God, but he's not the God of the Bible. He's a God they've made up in their own heads, their imaginations. Usually they, they perceive him to be loving, even if they've made him up. Because we all want God to be loving, don't we? <laughs> and we're all very glad when we read in the Bible and understand, yes, the true God really is a loving God. He's all about love. But there can be some problems here, guys. Tune in. For one thing, we can be guilty of redefining love to mean something that love really is not. I've talked about this in other places. But for example, it's definitely not loving to ignore or overlook things that people may be doing that will lead to their harm, is it? No, it wouldn't be loving. We try to stop them. Even though they may say we're being unloving, we know that it's real love. So there can be con some confusion about love. But the Bible also teaches very clearly that God is not only a God of perfect love, God's also a God of perfect justice and judgment and righteousness and holiness and wrath. And he must punish sin. Otherwise, he would not be just. Now, we need to spend a little time here because this attribute of God is sometimes harder for some people to accept. They don't want to believe that God is just. But he says he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Exodus 34. Here's another verse. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Here's another one. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is a God of wrath. Now, I know many, many people in America will say, oh, no, my God's not like that. My God is only a God of love. <laughs> the problem is, if their God is not a God of judgment and wrath against sin, their God's not the God of the Bible. Their God really doesn't exist at all. Their God's just an imaginary God in their imagination. Maybe somebody else's imagination that they've adopted as their own imaginary little God, but not the God that's revealed to us in the Bible as the true God. Because the Bible says, yes, God is a God of love, all right, but he is also a God of justice and judgment and wrath. Some people, and I just think they're not really thinking. It's just kind of a superficial thing, but they think they really don't like the fact that God is just. Of course, that's partly because they've sinned and they don't want to have to be accountable to God, right? But they don't, they don't like the fact, they think they don't want God to be a just God, a God of wrath and judgment who punishes sin. But listen, guys, stay with me here. At some level, almost everybody will realize they really do want God to be a just God who punishes sin. They just don't like the idea that their sin is going to be punished. But here's an illustration that might help us understand why God must be a God of justice. Suppose I were to go into a bank with a gun, and I hand the tellers a bag, 
and a note, and I said, give me your money, and they shoved the money in the bag, and I take off running. Well, as soon as I get out of the bank, the alarms go off. Pretty soon I hear sirens in the background. <laughs> Next thing you know, the police are on me. They arrest me. Eventually, I'm standing before a human judge, and the judge says, there's no question, Steve. You're guilty. You robbed that bank. There are all kinds of witnesses who identified you. The bank's video cameras, we got all kinds of footage of you stealing that money. You left your fingerprints everywhere. And the police caught you running with the money about three blocks from the bank. Steve, you're guilty. I'm going to sentence you to 10 years in prison. And suppose I said, wait a minute, Judge. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. You're right. I did rob the bank. Yes, I admit it. But let's think about this for a minute. I'm really a pretty good guy. There are lots of banks out there I haven't robbed. And I didn't kill anybody. And I've done a lot of good things, too. I mean, I've given money to good causes. Just the other day, I bought some Girl Scout cookies. I even helped an old lady across the street the other day. I mean, I'm basically a good guy. Suppose that judge would say, hmm, okay. Since you put it that way, you seem to be a pretty good guy. Okay, take the money, go on home, forget about it. What? <laughs> if that was your bank, if that was your money, you'd say, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not a very just judge. He's guilty. It's not right for you to get off without any penalty. We want our human judges to be just, don't we? Yeah, we really do. Of course we do. And God is more just than any human judge could ever be. He is a just God. And we really want him to be. Now, that was a little bit of a lighthearted illustration, but let's make it a little darker, okay? A little heavier. Suppose I were to murder a member of your family and the judge were to say, listen, I know you're basically a pretty good guy. I didn't really like that guy either. I'm just going to let you off. You'd be horrified, wouldn't you? You'd say, where is the justice? We want justice. Miroslav Volf is a Croatian philosopher and theologian. And he wrote something that I want to read to you here. It's worth some very careful consideration. Look at this. He said, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. My thesis will be unpopular with man in the West. I'm talking about people like us. But imagine speaking to people as I have, Volk says, whose cities and villages have been first plundered, then burned, and leveled to the ground whose daughters and sisters have been raped, whose fathers and brothers have had their throats slit. Your point to them, we should not retaliate? Why not? I say the only means of prohibiting violence by us is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end of violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. Do you hear what he's saying there? Do you understand that? He's saying if someone does to you the kinds of things that people in his home country have seen and experienced, naturally speaking, you're going to do whatever you can to get revenge. You'll resort to violence, violence of retaliation. That's what the whole world does. You realize that, right? That's why wars are fought. Again and again and again, we've done that. You hurt me, you hurt my family, I'll hurt you back. Unless we really realize there really is a just judge. Unless we realize that vengeance belongs to him and he will repay, just like he says in his, in his word. 
unless we realize that ultimately nobody's going to get away with anything. God is a just God. And if he were not a just judge, think about it. Think about the Hitlers of this world, the Stalins of this world, Mao Zedongs of this world, the Paul Potts of this world. Men like these have been responsible for tens of millions of deaths of innocent people. They were brutal, heartless, mass murderers. We want there to be a just God who will judge them. And there is, and he will. Very clear in scripture. But you see, our problem is, it's not just murderers. It's not just terrorists who are guilty. We're all guilty. We must never forget that. God is a holy, righteous, just God. He's very, very serious about sin. He will certainly punish sin. We are all sinners. We all deserve his judgment and his wrath. Even things that we may call little sins, they're all a form of self-centered rebellion against the true God. Sin is always more serious than we think, and God must be just. He's going to deal with it. We have to communicate the truth to people about God. Okay, here's the next transition sentence. So it seems like God's in kind of a dilemma. On the one hand, he loves us. He doesn't want to punish us. But on the other hand, he hates our sin. And in order to be a just God, he must administer the wages of sin, death, destruction in hell. It seems like a dilemma. But really, God had the solution all along. The solution is Jesus Christ. God himself is the solution. So this is heading number four, Jesus. And sometimes when I'm talking with somebody that's kind of knew about spiritual things, or maybe I haven't talked with them about spiritual things before, I'll ask them that question. I'll say, I'm just curious about what you think about Jesus. If someone came up to you and said, I'm new here in the States. I've been hearing a lot about a guy named Jesus. Can you tell me about him? Who is he? What would you say to that person? Now, here again is a good place to pause the video and try to verbalize, number one, what your personal answer would be to that question, who is Jesus? And maybe number two, what you think other people might say about that. Why don't you hit pause right now? You know, the most common answer I get to that question, and I'll tell you up front, it's not bad. It's a good answer. Just needs a little bit of clarification. The most common answer I've heard is, well, Jesus is the son of God. And I always say, well, yeah, that's, that's a good answer. He really is the son of God. But, you know, there's a sense in which I'm a son of God, too. Is there any difference between Jesus and me? <laughs> Usually people will quickly respond, oh, yeah, of course there's a difference. And, of course, there is. And, you know, it's up to you. You might want to give them a chance to talk about what they see as the difference. But you might just want to tell them something like this. You know, you could say, you know, when I was conceived in my mother's womb, that's when I started to exist. But when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, the Bible says she was a virgin who conceived Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't when he began to exist. The Bible teaches very clearly that he has always existed from eternity past. He's always been God the Son. So the Bible teaches he really is fully man, but he's also fully God. And so sometimes we call him the infinite God-man. And it really is important to understand who he is. Because a lot of people say, well, Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived. 
I know that. Now they'll say he was a great moral teacher. I know that. But, but you see, what they believe is that he was a great man, but when he died, he stayed dead. In the Veritas 2020 videos, we learn why that's a very irrational position to take. I'm not going to take time to go into it here, but a lot of people claim to believe it. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus really is fully man. That's true. But the Bible also clearly teaches that he is fully God. He's not just a man. He's the infinite God-man. And it's extremely important we get that right about Jesus because there are a lot of people who will talk about Jesus. They'll use his name, but he's not the Jesus of the Bible. He's an imaginary Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches Jesus is God. And here are a couple of verses. There are plenty of more verses. But John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, God the Son and God the Father, and the Word was God. God is a trinity, reveals himself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the Word was made flesh. He's talking about Jesus, you see, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God. Paul wrote this to the Colossians, for in him, in Christ, dwells the whole fullness of the Godhead bodily. You hear that? The point Paul's making is Jesus didn't just have a little bit of God in him. He is fully God, the whole fullness of God. You may remember that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared right through the locked door, right through the walls to some of his followers. Remember that? But Thomas wasn't there. And later on, the disciples who saw him were telling Thomas that Jesus really had risen from the dead and they'd seen him. Thomas thought they were being deceived. So he said, unless I see the scars in his hands, unless I touch those scars, unless I see that wound in his head, I'm not going to believe it. Well, a little later, Jesus appeared to them again. And this time, Thomas was there too. And you remember what Thomas did when he saw the risen Christ? He cried out and said, my Lord and my God. Thomas realized at that point, Jesus was not just a man. He was truly God come in the flesh. So we need to know who Jesus is. He's the infinite God-man. Now, there are many more verses. If you'd like to see more verses that clearly teach that Jesus is God, I have a list of them in our Bounty Joy website. I won't show them to you now, but you can go see them there. But we must not only know who he is, we've got to understand what he came to earth to do. He came for one purpose, and that was to die on the cross to pay for our sins and to purchase eternal life for us, which he offers to us as a free gift. The death of any man who is only a man, even an amazing man, but if he's just a mere man, could never pay for our sins, guys, because we're all sinners and everybody else is too. We're all in the same boat. We all deserve to die. Only God himself could die in our place and pay for our sins because only God is totally sinless. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, the Bible says, like we are yet without sin. Only the voluntary death of the totally sinless God himself could pay for our sins. And that's why he came. Yes, he was a great teacher, but that's not the main reason he came. Yes, he was a healer. Certainly he was a great healer, a miracle worker, prophet. But those are not the main reasons he came. He did all those things. But the main reason he came was to die. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. He's the just, we're the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. 
I think my favorite illustration in the entire Evangelism Explosion presentation is the one we call the Record Book of Sins. And I want to share that with you right now. I love this one. Let's suppose that this book were a book of my life, my sin. Every sin that I've ever committed is written in this book. Uh, I mean, every time I've told a lie, every time I lost my temper, every time I've gotten irritated, every time I've lusted, every sin I've ever thought is right here in this book. Now, if it were a book of my life and had all my sins, it'd be a lot thicker. But let's pretend it's a book of my life. And here, this hand represents me. Here's my sin. I'm carrying it around like a heavy load. I know I'm guilty. It's heavy. I'm oppressed by my sin. I've done wrong. I know I've done wrong, and I'm carrying around this heavy load. And you see, here's my problem. Here's God. I suppose this hand represents God. I can't have fellowship with God. Not only am I carrying this heavy load, it's separating me from God. God, you see, it, it seemed like a dilemma for God. On, on the one hand, he loves me, but he hates this sin. And this sin is a rebellion against God. And I can't have fellowship with God. So God fixed the problem. God became a man, one of us. And he lived just like we do, except he never sinned. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So he didn't have a load of sin to carry. He went to the cross and he took my sin on himself on the cross to pay my, for my sin. Do you know God prophesied this in the Old Testament? There's a verse in Isaiah that says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took my sin and accepted the wrath of God for my sin on the cross to pay for my sin, to satisfy the justice of God, and you know what? Because he was sinless, when they buried him, three days later, he came out of that tomb, eventually ascended into heaven. The Bible says he separates my sins from us as far as east is from the west. He's buried them in the depths of the sea. And now my sin's gone, and I can have fellowship with God because of what he did for me there on the cross. Isn't that an awesome illustration? Here's something else you can share. You remember that one of the last things Jesus said as he was dying on the cross was, it is finished. Remember that? The Greek word that's translated, it is finished, is tetelestai. It was a word that was used when someone owed a debt. And when they finally paid that final payment on the debt, the creditor would take out that statement of the debt and he would write the word tetelestai across it. It was paid in full. That debt's done. That debt's over. And that's what Jesus was saying on the cross when he said, It is finished. To tell us, die. I paid for your sins in full. It's done. You remember that word grace that we talked about in the first heading in the presentation? Grace, G-R-A-C-E. Someone has said, you know, it, it turns out that's a pretty neat acronym. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. We get to experience the riches of God, eternal salvation, the love of God, the peace of God that passes understanding. Our sins are forgiven. We've been brought into the family of God. We're God's kids. We have eternal life with Him. We've been made into new creations in Christ. 
but God himself had to take the penalty for our sins on himself. It was at Christ's expense. Okay, now here is a transition you might use to go into the, the last topic, which is faith. It might seem that if heaven really is a free gift, and if Christ died to pay for our sins, that might mean that everybody gets to go to heaven automatically. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we receive this amazing gift through something called faith. And Satan has sown quite a bit of confusion about faith also, even though it's very simple. So I want to make sure we really understand what faith is. And so we'll talk about that in the next and, and last video in this series. So let's pray. Father, it is amazing every time we think about what you've done to pay for our sins, to purchase us for yourself, we are amazed. We know you're a God of love, and you've certainly clearly made that obvious to us and in your word. But we also know you're a God who's serious about sin. You're a just God, a righteous God, a holy God. You're a just and righteous judge. But how we thank you that you chosen from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, that you would take the penalty for our sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, would become one of us and die on that cross. We can't imagine how he suffered there to pay for our sins. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that incredible gift. And Lord, as we finish up this gospel presentation in the, in the last video, I pray that any who might not have ever trusted Jesus will do so very soon. And that those of us who have will just have greater amazement and awe and greater ability to share these things with others when we get opportunity. By your grace, for your glory, in Jesus' name.